When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it's me, Victoria. So we mentioned our Patreon that was coming up a couple of episodes ago, and well, it's up and ready to go. We launched it uh, just this Monday, so I guess that would have been, let me look at a calendar, that would have been Monday the 5th. We launched it on the afternoon of that day, um, and already we are two-fifths of the way to our second goal. You are all amazing, and we... (laughs) We really can't believe uh, the amount of love and support that you are showing us. Now, we would love for you to uh, continue to to pledge for that because then we'd be able to get uh, new microphones for everyone. But if you don't want to do that, that's totally fine too. Every tweet using the hashtag Broad Squad or any mention or retweet or reblog or whatever the case you may be, that all is helpful and we really, truly appreciate it so much. Later on in the show, we are going to be discussing the details of our listener appreciation giveaway, so stay tuned and stick around for that. And we have a few more reviews. So on Stitcher, um, we have Loredar, Loredor. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. I'm sorry. Seriously, I've enjoyed this one. I'm not a huge fan of live play podcasts, to be honest, but I've enjoyed these players. The story is engaging, they're having fun, and all is well in Faerun. If by well you mean complicated and full of interesting drama. Totally worth the listen. Well, thanks so much. Yay! (laughs) Um, And we have a couple others, and I chose these two because... It's really interesting when we receive these. So please just give us a review, even if it's maybe not entirely your thing. Just just let us know what you think of it. We have from Water Flame, it's awesome to hear a D&D group that's nothing but women. A lovely change of pace. But in trying to go for a more cinematic feel, I don't feel like I know who any of the characters are. We aren't introduced to them in any way, barely even finding out their names, and we have no idea what they look like. It's hard to visualize a story when you don't have a picture in your head. So in contrast, we have Big Brother B who says, listening to episode one, I really like that they just launch into the story as opposed to doing the obligatory episode zero explaining the characters. So refreshing to start right away. Looking forward to hearing more of the travels. (laughs) So as you can see, um, different strokes for different folks. I hope, Waterflame, that maybe these new kind of Bond episodes are giving you a little more insight to the characters. You can also check out the artwork that we have on our website because those have pictures of all of the characters. 
Thank you so much for writing into us. Please give us more reviews. Send us emails, thebroads at thebroadswords.com. We love getting them. Let's get to it. Lady Yelbruna entered the circle in the Erling Wood in an attempt to understand Bahamut's suspected interest in Kila, Mapri, and Yaleri's. After peering into Kila's past, Yelbruna learns that the bard, too, has a mysterious ring. That makes two. Next, Yelbruna settles her attention on Maypri. You're listening to The Broadswords. Tracy Gibbons as Keela, the High Elf Bard. I'm just generally not impressed. Kristen Flemons as Yularis, the Half Elf Wizard. Dragon like. Oh boy. And Bianca Zelda as May Pri, the Tiefling Barbarian. She's gonna just like take the pickle out of your hand with her mouth. And me, Victoria Rogers, your DM. You're scrambling up a mountain path. You stumble, but you catch yourself before you crash headlong over a cliff. Your chest heaves as you flee from your linen-clad pursuers. Stop! In the name of horse race, stop, slave! You spot a crevice in the rock ahead, and it looks just wide enough for you to squeeze through. Her heart is racing. She can feel the sweat trickle down the middle of her back as she's trying to flee for her life. She's having a hard time breathing. She's having a hard time focusing. All she can think about right now is just escaping. You hear a terrible roar from above, and a shadow blots out the sun. The men behind you cry out, You know that name. The blue dragon has been feasting on the slaves in the Great Vale for half a millennia. Her heart stops as she looks up towards the skies and sees that horrible but magnificent dragon uh, roaring about. Maypri is going to glance forward at the crevice that was that she had spotted earlier and take a dive towards that because that's the only safety that she can seek right now. The last thing she needs on top of potential captors is a dragon that has been known to eat her people. As you squeeze inside the crevice, the hair on the back of your neck rises. Lightning crackles and blasts the rock behind you. You hear screams as the mountain rumbles and rocks go cascading down. Give me a dexterity check, please. Thirteen. You lunge deeper into the cave just as the entrance of the cave collapses, sealing you in. Can I see anything inside of this cave? How dark is it? 
I mean, I, I do have dark vision, so let me reword that question. What do I see inside this cave? The passage you're in is rough. Um, the ground is uneven. No person made this tunnel. This is a natural formation. Your eyes allow you to make out that it leads straight ahead for about 40 feet. Okay. Uh, Mapri's going to take a quick second to try and catch her breath and then march forward. She's, she's determined. She's going to keep going. The passage twists back on itself, and it is a really tight squeeze. But you think you can fit through there if you tread carefully. Okay, please give me a dexterity check. 19, 19. Ooh, so you carefully test your weight on the rock that you think may be loose. It holds. You are able to contort your body to slide around the sharp turn, rocks scraping against your stomach. One of your horns catches on an outcrop of rock above you, but you are able to tilt your head to the side and free yourself. On the other side, you find yourself on a stone ledge about 10 feet above the ground. Out in front of you is something that takes your breath away. This area is definitely man-made. It is perfectly rectangular. The walls are smooth and the floor looks to be a mosaic. You are in a massive cavern. It's about 200 feet wide, three, maybe 400 feet long. What the mosaic on the floor is, you can't quite tell because there is a thick layer of dust. The air in here is thick and stale. There are rows of pillars that have intricate carvings. And at one point you think there would have been paint on these, but it has long since faded or flaked off. These Pillars march along the entire length of this cavern, that 400 feet, and they reach up into the darkness above you. And even your fiendish dark vision can't see where those pillars end. It's just so far up. But those pillars lead up to a yawning entranceway that is carved into the cavern wall. The keystone of the great archway is shaped as an eagle's head. You know this eagle's head. It is the same eagle head that is tattooed on your neck. I'm going to... I think so. I've just escaped kind of that tight spot. So I'm going to walk down, trailing behind me uh, a dusty... Uh, so I guess now clean footsteps since it appears that I'm the first person to walk here in a very long time. And I'm going to run my hand along the pillars and approach the archway with that eagle head. On each side of the archway is a stone sphinx. Each of their heads are adorned with feathered headdresses, the peaks of which are shaped like an eagle's beak. Can you give me a history check? Absolutely. Not my strongest. Oh, damn. 20. What if it's rolls? It's so nice today. <laughs> All right. 
Um, the old pharaohs have tombs deep within the sword mountains, and no one has stepped foot in them in centuries, not even the priests of Horus Ray. Many of these tombs have been lost to time, and people have no idea how to get to them, or even if they're still there. You are pretty sure this is one of them. And those that eagle head and those those sphinxes, they tell you that this this is a tomb of great stature. Some of Maypre's fear is fading away to be replaced by giddiness. Um, the anticipation of being the first to discover something new uh, for a very long time. She's always wanted to kind of explore and adventure. So she didn't really expect that after her first flight from her home that she would stumble across something so magnificent. Uh, curious, she she's going to approach that sphinx since it's the closest on her level and reach out and try to touch it. Your steps echo throughout the cavern. Puffs of dust spray up into the air, and as you approach the archway or the the sphinx, there is a creaking sound as the sphinx to your right shudders to life. She stretches back, her large leonine paws straight out in front of her. She blinks slowly at you. Who treads at the gates of Horus the Second? She looks at you intently with her golden eyes. Uh, Maypre kind of starts, surprised at this moving statue, and she stares wide-eyed for a second before kind of coming to her senses, and she drops to her knees and tips her head down in, um obedient gesture and she peeks up ever so slightly just to kind of still look at this magnificent creature that that she's facing i'm my name is maypre i that this is where i am i'm in am i in a tomb when you look up you catch her eye And the air about you begins to move in a golden swirl. And your stomach does a flip as the ground ripples underfoot. And her voice goes out of phase. Because the ground ripples under your feet. And you stumble backward, your arms outstretched. But your hands grasp at nothing. You are falling. And you are continuing to fall. At some point, she's going to curse her god, kind of shaking her fists in frustration. Horus Ray! Horus Ray! And squeeze her eyes shut and hope that she's going to be okay. You stand in a mountain pass, wind whipping around you. In the valley below, you see a white marble tower 
Ivy grows up one side of it, choking the stained glass windows. The other side of the pass, if you look behind you, there is a black marble tower, higher up in the mountain. Without a second thought, Maypre is just going to head down that path towards the white building. It's the closest, and it's the one that kind of provides a sense of less fear than the other tower. As you approach the tower, you see that it is made of a single piece of marble. There is no joint that you can see at all. It is just perfectly smooth. And what the ivy is connecting to as it climbs up, you have no idea because there there's nothing for it to, to cling on to. It's just smooth white marble that is dotted with stained glass windows. There is a single door. As Maypre is running her hand along the white tower, she's going to pass one of the windows. What can you can you tell me what it looks like? It depicts an elven procession. And each person within this procession has their head bowed. And as you look at the windows uh, around you, you realize that they're telling you the story of a funeral. At the back of the procession, there's four armored elves carrying a golden stretcher, and upon it lays an elven woman clad in green, her arms crossed over her chest. In the air, above her still form, is a brilliant, shining dragon, its wings outstretched. What color is the dragon? It's brilliant and shining. You you don't quite get a sense of color. Okay. Just brightness. Does it remind me at all of uh, that horrible dragon that I'm familiar with? No. Okay. No. The Gastenius is a blue dragon that is fearsome and spiky and, and toothsome. This is more brilliance and light. Okay. Are there, is that the only window depicting a scene? If I circle around? That you can see? Yes, uh, there are more windows, but they're higher up. Okay. Uh, Maypre will go ahead and circle around back towards the door and knock on it and see if anybody is home. It opens as soon as your skin brushes against it. Okay, still feeling nervous. She'll peek her head inside to kind of get a feel of what she's going to step into. Okay, give me a perception check, please. Thirteen. The room is bare, save for a curving staircase leading upward along the opposite wall. This staircase is made out of the same marble as the rest of the tower, and it too seems to be part of the same giant chunk of marble that the tower is is made of. Again, there's no seams, no joints. Everything is just smoothly connected as if it's all carved out of one piece. Okay, she'll poke her head inside and then, uh, as loud as possible, but within reason, she'll shout, Hello? Anybody home? And I guess her voice will echo because this place sounds pretty empty. When nothing but her own voice kind of returns back to her, she'll go ahead and step inside and start walking towards those stairs. 
As you walk through, you hear a creak from behind you. And 13, your armor class is... 15. Okay, so as you walk in, a rusty sword swings by your shoulder. Let's roll for initiative. Yay. Uh, 12. 18. Ugh, rude. (laughs) So the skeleton comes up from behind you again, and as it misses, it brings the sword back in a backhand motion, um, aiming for, for like your side, your ribs. And that is an 11. How does Maypri avoid being hit? She will... I have my weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. She will uh, quickly pull up her glaive and block that attempt at her side and parry it back. And then I would like to attack. Not a very great attack. <laughs> Seven. What's it look like when you miss? It was... So the parry was successful. She was able to push back that skeleton's weapon, but she had jumbled... Because like a glaive is a long weapon with a... Picture like half of a sword, a curved sword placed on the end of it. So it's a very long stick at the pointy end, and you kind of have to be really dexterous to be able to manage it but she kind of gets tangled up in the long pole and doesn't doesn't even aim to hit the skeleton she just kind of fumbles a little bit with the pole and it uh, slips out of her fingers (laughs) and it sidesteps that as you stumble and it uses your stumble to its advantage and it stabs into your arm and it does five damage she stumbles back and she kind of feels like time stops for a second not 20 minutes ago she was fleeing for her life she was fleeing from a life of unhappiness of pain of frustration of suffering and then she's here and she's being stabbed by the skeletons unable to control her emotion she lets out this guttural roar and begins to rage. And what does raging look like for Maypri? She looks and feels bigger than she really is. She emits this aura of pure, unadulterated power. Her pupils, like the color, her green eyes, they turn white. She still has the outline of her iris but that's all that you can see. So you can tell like her eyes aren't rolled into the back of her head, but her, her eyes, like they're just they're pure white. Her mouth is set in a permanent snarl with her, her pointy teeth showing in a ferocious scowl. Okay. And are you going to attack the skeleton? I would love to attack. 14. That connects. Why don't you tell us what that looks like? It is a vicious swipe down with her glaive, putting behind all the force of her frustration. She aims to crush that skeleton skull into bits. She's not even using the pointed part. She's just kind of literally aiming to crush a skull with the the pole part of her glaive. Okay, roll for damage. Excellent. Nine. 
you crush into this skeleton's skull. Um, you said you weren't using the pointy part. You were using like the stick part to crush it. So what I'm going to do as a DM, I'm going to say that it's not slashing damage and that you're going for bludgeoning damage. Um, so you are bludgeoning this, this skeleton skull. So this skull, it's old and it just crumbles and its jaw rips off and clatters to the ground. And this skeleton with half a skull just barely attached to its neck um, kind of roars. Not really, it doesn't roar. Um, it clatters at you, I guess. Like its bulls, its bones clattering. And it goes to attack you, but it misses because its head has been smashed. It is thrown back. And it is just a desperate swipe against you with its sword, which goes wide. Okay, Maypri will pull her glaive back, and she want, she's going to pierce the skeleton spine. But only a seven, so that doesn't hit. Instead, aiming for the spine, she underestimated just how narrow of a spot that would have been to hit, and she pretty much just slid her weapon through his ribs and then out the other end. Okay, and then it kind of recovers, but it still has this long glaive kind of sticking into its ribs, so it is going to have disadvantage as it tries to get back at you, um, and that is a natural one. So what happens is it slips. And as it slips, it because your glaive is stuck through its ribs, the force of that it falling backwards cracks one of the ribs and breaks it in two, doing an additional four damage. And the skeleton just collapses onto the end of your great glaive. Maypri will, every time after a fight, especially when she rages, she just takes a couple of seconds. Um, she'll drop her weapon. It's just covered in, like, skeleton bones right now. And she'll take a couple seconds and start counting on her fingers to breathe herself back into a state of normalcy. And when she's finally composed, she'll pick up her weapon, put it back uh, to the strap on her back, and can she like can she like root through the bones? Is there any like like is it just bones? Did he have any like clothing? Um, it has a rusty short sword, some old moldy boots. <laughs> okay, yeah, nothing really worth picking up. So she'll kind of kick about, kick around those bones, and then head back towards the winding staircase and head on upstairs. You ascend the staircase and your head emerges up into the next the next story, the next floor. And you come into another round room and the walls are all shining white marble. The sun shines through some stained glass windows and their images are are projected on the opposite side of the wall. Curiously, Maypri is going to walk up to the window first and touch it just to confirm that it's not something incredibly magical and it's just stained glass reflecting onto the opposite wall. 
Um, so when I do touch it, like, is it just, it is, it, is it just stained glass? Uh, roll investigation. 18. It looks just like stained glass. And as you approach it, and as your fingers touch it, the figures cast onto the wall behind you begin to move. The female elf that you saw before, who is lying on the stretcher, she is clad in green, the same outfit, and she stands upon a gilded dais before a large crowd. We will not fall, she says, her voice echoing around the room about you. We will not bend knee to evil. We shall stand. And that image dissipates. And another arranges itself onto the wall. This scene is a scene of battle. The woman is clad in golden armor and a green cape. She sits astride a white stallion, long sword held aloft. Above her, the same shining dragon flies high overhead. Around her and her banner... Elves fight the twisted forms of something that looks to have once been elven, but everything is off. Limbs are jointed in places where they shouldn't be. Mouths are too far up on the face or too far off to the side. Their teeth are too sharp. They're all angles and sharp edges. You can hear the disembodied screams of horses and man and beast and creature as this battle rages around you. And the image changes again. The woman is now dismounted. You can see her horse lying dead on the ground behind her. She fights a pale-faced man in black armor. She parries her sword with her own and spins on her heel to maneuver just out of his reach. Without pausing, you see her mouth move as she says something that is drowned out by the battle raging around her. And down from the heavens comes a blinding light. You blink from the intensity of it. It flashes, and as soon as it arrived, the light is gone. And the hulking figure in black armor is no more. The elven queen looks down at the pile of ash. You see her chest rise and fall in deep breaths. And then you can see, from her left, comes a black arrow flying straight toward her. She does not see it, and it pierces her neck. Her eyes open wide in surprise. She falls to her knees, her sword clattering to the ground beside her. Her bannerman yells, and high above, the shining dragon screams. And then the images are still, and the room is silent. On the opposite wall is another curving staircase leading upward. 
may pretty well kind of pause after that scene's ended to kind of take it all in. Growing up, she was never afforded a lot of opportunity to enjoy any any form of entertainment. So this strange but magnificent scenes that have been playing along this building have absolutely captured her interest, her curiosity, but also a little bit of fear because she doesn't understand what's happening or what it's supposed to be showing her. She was rooting for that elven lady, but beyond that, it didn't really afford her any information. So without much more to search for in this room, since it's bare like the rest of them, she'll head up and go up those, stair- those stairs again. The temperature changes as you ascend the stairs, and the air feels warmer. At the top of the stairs, though, there is a door, unlike the floor you just left, and the door is shut. Maypree's gonna knock on it again. When your knuckles touch it, the door is warm but not hot to the touch. But just like the door at the base of the tower, it opens silently. And she will slowly, carefully kind of step through. You are in a room just like the others. This one is not empty. In the center, you see a marble altar. And atop it lays the elven woman you saw in the images. Her golden hair drapes across the edge of the altar and cascades down onto the floor. She looks untouched, unspoiled, serene. If it wasn't for the fact that her chest did not rise and fall, you would think she was asleep. But seated on the opposite side of her, in a wooden chair, is a man. His skin is burnished bronze from years in the sun, and he wears a simple linen tunic, something a slave might wear, something very similar to your own. I'll slowly walk up towards him and then dip my head in uh, a statement of deference, just in case he was somebody stationed above me, despite what he's wearing. Um, excuse my intrusion, but... Can you, can you tell me where I am? When you speak, he cocks his head to the side. And as he moves, seven golden canaries shift on their numerous perches around him. Some sit on his shoulders, others on the back of his chair. One stands upon the edge of the golden shield, laying atop the dead queen's chest. You should not be here, he says with a frown. What is it that you want? Oh, I mean, I didn't mean to come here intentionally. Um, what do I want? I, I want... I want to be away from here. He stands and walks around the altar and stops just a foot in front of you. There is a warmth radiating from him. Away, he says. 
Will you help me? I, yes, I would love to help. He nods and reaches out to touch your neck. His touch is warm. And then it grows warmer and it's hot and then it's burning. The air about you swirls in gold and white and green and your vision blurs and you know this sensation. You felt it when you looked in the eye of the Sphinx. You're falling again. She'll just scream in frustration this time. Never mind cursing her god because that never does any good. And you stand in a lush green forest. You have never seen the like of it. There is life everywhere. You can feel the water in the air. This is not the deserts of Muhalrand. Maybe we'll take a deep breath in, just kind of relishing this new sensation and this new environment. What? So am I just in a meadow surrounded by trees? You are in a clearing in a forest. There is a small stream leading into a pool of water just off to your left. Okay. After the previous adventures, I mean, I'm thirsty, I'm confused, I'm tired. I'm still baffled about that strange man and why he touched me. Feeling, just to kind of make sure I don't have any burn marks, I'm going to reach up and touch my neck where my tattoo is as I'm walking towards the stream to to grab a drink. Can I... I mean, I'm just going to kind of handful in some water into my face. (laughs) Okay. And as you splash your face, you can see your reflection in this pool of water. It is a crystal clear pool of water. Your tattoo is gone. Her wet hand is going to go back up towards her neck and triple check that it's really not there. She's never not had that tattoo before. That's been a symbol of her, her slavery her entire life. Feeling confused? She'll sit back uh, on the edge of that bank and think back of what that strange man said. He asked what she had wanted, and half-heartedly she responded that she wanted to get away, and this is where he took her. So she's kind of grinning stupidly while, while dipping her feet in the water now. And as you grin stupidly, and your hand is touching your neck, You feel familiar warmth on your finger, your middle finger of your right hand. She can, she will extend it and look into her hand. What, what's in my hand? On your finger is a simple white marble ring. Lady Yelbruna stares into her own pool of water, Maypree's fading image reflecting back up to her. Queen Atala. Perplexing, but 
fitting, a slave-turned-queen. But what did she have to do with the tiefling, and what was her involvement with Bahamut? Her brows furrow behind her butterfly mask. What help did a god need? She flicks her wrist, and more of May Pri's memories flash by, but none of them reveal anything of use. Long days of walking, fighting, gambling, drinking. The girl could be Rashemi. The masked woman sighs, and the image in the pool shifts to the sleeping figure of Yalaris. So, you made it all the way to the end. And what does that mean? Well, it means, as promised, we are going to give you the details of our listener appreciation giveaway. This giveaway is specifically for the people who listen to our show, and it's a great big thank you. So all you have to do uh, is submit a minor magic item that you would like to see in our game. Try to make it a little bit more realistic because, quite honestly, anything that's game-breaking is not going to be chosen. So submit this to us via email. Please don't put it in social media. We just we want to like to have it all in one place. So our email is thebroads at thebroadswords.com. We do have a contact form on our website, thebroadswords.com. We will shortlist those. And then what we will do is, well, let's say on Wednesday, the 21st, we will put up on our various social media platforms a poll of the shortlisted items, and then everyone gets to vote on which one they get to see in our game. In addition to having your item in the game, um, you, the lucky winner, will receive a print of one of the player characters of your choice. Akidad has made some amazing portraits of Yaleri's Maypri and Kila for International Women's Day, so you'll be able to choose one of those. You can find those um, on our website or any of our social media. So yeah! We look forward to reading all of your ideas. We're really excited about this. So, yeah, we will see you on Saturday the 24th. Bye! In the Dallas-Fort Worth crime area, Weed 2.0 is a lot like brisket. People smoke it, and they die. So it's up to the new DFW task force agents Kip Simpkins and Trevor Steele to crack some heads and do some justice. So come on down to advanced sagebrushing shootouts and listen to these boys roll some dice and laugh your ass off at ASSpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy trails, y'all. The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish.